Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 152 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 10th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Lots to get to. We're going to get Harvey Hyde on in the first segment. We've got Dan Weber coming up. He's going to talk about some of the NCAA stuff that he had been writing about recently. And we got Gerard Martinez coming on as well. Lots to talk about. We spent the last week in San Antonio for the Army All-American All-Star Game. We can give you all kinds of updates with what was going on there with USC commits and the Junior Combine and all that stuff. Tons of recruiting. Obviously, it's the busiest month of the year for recruiting. Big recruiting weekend coming up for USC. They're probably bringing 20 guys or more coming up the weekend, January 14th. So lots of stuff going on in the world of USC football and recruiting. If you have any questions or comments for us, we appreciate those. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail, and if you leave us a voicemail, we can play it on the air. You can hear your voice on the Peristyle Podcast, and then we will answer your question. And like I mentioned, we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We're back in studio now, Coach. We're not doing this from uh, just my laptop. we got a little mixing board and microphones and everything. Hope it sounds a little better. How are you doing today, Coach? You always sound good, Ryan. Yep, no, I'm doing great. I'll tell you, we're into the new year now. We're into recruiting season, which is something I just personally just loved when I was a coach. I used to love to recruit. I tell you, I used to love to go into homes and sell our university or meet young people and talk to them about their goals and meet their parents and so on. And it's just an exciting time of year to be able to compete, compete against other universities and go out and, uh, you know, try to get players to improve your team. I used to tell my team when I used to leave to go recruiting, we'd have a team meeting, of course, at the end of the year. I used to say, now, guys, my goal is to go out and put every single one of you on the bench. So I'm going out big game hunting. You guys better get into the weight room and take care of your business because I'm going to try to go out there and make us a better football team by bringing in better football players, and that should motivate you to become a better football player. Because if you allow me to bring in somebody to put you on the bench, then you haven't been taking care of what you need to do. So it's a great time of year, and uh, we're just about ready to come up to, what, signing date, February the 2nd? Yes. And uh, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. It's like the draft. It's better than the draft because you can get 25 first-round players <laughs> if, you, if you get the right players. You know what I mean, Ryan? Yes, certainly, Coach. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I know Pete Carroll was a big fan of signing day, recruiting, and Lane Kiffin, and Ed Orgeron, and all those guys love it as well. I wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. SETickets.com is the website, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for a concert, sporting events, theater, anything like that, definitely give Southern California Tickets a call. Season ends tonight, Coach, with the the, the college football season ends tonight with a national championship game. I know you're dialed in. What do you think about this one before we get into some USC stuff? Well, let me put it to you this way. You know, um, I, I like the Southeastern Conference, but I think they get too much pub. I think everybody uh, talks about the Southeastern Conference all the time. Why? Because that's where all the publications are sold. That's where all the subscriptions are. That's where all the 
you know, people spend their money on football, and, and, and so they're certainly going to treat them right in the ratings of recruiting and everything else. And they also talk about them winning all these national championship games. But, you know, every time the past four years, I believe, they played in the national championship game, and they've won. Let's give them credit. they played against a Big Ten team. So I think tonight uh, they're going to play against a Pac-10 team, and I hope this Pac-10 team brings their game. Oregon doesn't have a history of playing well in bowl games, especially last year in the Rose Bowl game. But I think this game is a special game uh, for the nation. I think it will be one of the highest-viewed games ever uh, on television. For people that have subscriptions, uh, they'll watch it. People that don't have it will go over to somebody's house. But this is a game you really can't call, Ryan. It's a game that is going to come down to, I believe, who makes the fewest mistakes, turnovers, uh, depth. Uh, I think the depth of Oregon favors them on the defensive line of the uh, defensive side of the football. And of course, I'm a Pac-10 guy. So if Oregon was able to win tonight, that would give uh, the Pac-10 a lot of status, especially with Stanford's overwhelming victory over Virginia Tech, and then Washington in the Holiday Bowl beating soundly Nebraska, Arizona being the only disappointment in the Pac-10. And uh, that certainly was a disappointment. So I'm rooting for Oregon. Can Oregon win? They certainly can, and uh, I think they will win. So uh, I've made my decision. I think Oregon will beat Auburn tonight. Cam Newton's a great player, and he can make great plays. But I just think in this situation, I think it's hard to play up to their pace of football, and they haven't seen this before. I like it, Coach. I, I, I think I'm in the same ilk as you. As, as my biggest concern is whenever there's a bowl game, it doesn't matter who's playing, you don't know how they're going to react after four or five weeks off. And Oregon showed last year they, they didn't react that well. So I might give a little bit of an edge to Auburn. But I think Oregon can, can definitely win this game. But they have to show up. They can't come up out and play like they did last year in the Rose Bowl. No, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, and I think that they learned a lot from that. And uh, I think uh, Chip Kelly will have his team ready to go. I think they're really a fine-conditioned football team. They're smaller than Auburn. But uh, they rotate a lot of players on defense, and uh, they tend to wear you down in the second half. Obviously, their statistics show that. And uh, I think that may happen again tonight. But they can't have turnovers. They can't allow big plays that Auburn to have on their defense where they're continuously catching up. Because they're the type of team that you're trying to always catch up with them. So they have to come out ready to play early and get to get on the board and and uh, just keep it going. And got to remember, Auburn's not a team that gives up either. Remember, they were down big to Alabama at Alabama and made a tremendous comeback to win that football game. So this is a team that's an overachieving team with Cam Newton. He's a guy that's been in college one year and probably will only be in college one year and came in and they're playing for a national championship, and he's a Heisman Trophy winner. So uh, this is going to be huge, and uh, I can't wait for it. I can't either, Coach. It should be a lot of fun. Well, let's get, we've got a couple of USC questions here. Um, Ryan wanted to know, and I think this is a really interesting one. People have brought this up to me before. Everyone talks about the competition between Cody Kessler and Max Wittick. Those are the two USC early enrollee quarterbacks that are coming in. Uh, Max Wittick played and real well in the Under Armour game in Florida, All-Star game. And Kessler had a great week of practice and didn't really have much time to throw the ball at the Army All-American game in San Antonio, where I just came from. He wants to know, what about Jesse Scroggins? These two, how do these two guys stack up against Jesse Scroggins in spring ball? And Scroggins is a guy that came in out of Lakewood High School last year, a redshirted uh, four-star quarterback. And 
that's the nature of recruiting is people tend to forget about guys that signed last year. Everyone wants to know what the future is, but they forget about a guy like that. But all three of those young quarterbacks are going to get a chance to compete in the spring, see who's going to be the backup to Matt Barkley. The Strogans obviously has an advantage and will start before them as far as on the depth chart. But these two young guys coming in are really great talent. I like both of them. People I've talked to that coach these kids as far as in the All-Star games like these kids. They both had great camps. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get a rhythm when you don't play the entire game in an All-Star game. But the drills they did and everything they did for the coaches and the people that were down in these at these All-Star games really liked both these kids. And I think these kids are top-flight kids. They'll come in. They this style of offense that, uh, you know, USC plays fits them perfectly. They're not runners. They're throwers. They're pro-type quarterbacks. They throw the ball well. I think they uh, throw the ball really uh, for incoming freshmen uh, really well. And I think they're head-smart kids. I think they'll fit right into the offense. And coming in in the uh, spring is really going to help them, really, because SC really needs help in the spring, especially a quarterback. Scroggins, as far as he's concerned, you know, you haven't heard much about him. And that sort of disappoints me a little bit because you would think they'd be talking or raving or, or talking about him more in this coming year and uh, who's going to be the backup, and he's definitely the backup. They're not saying that. No one's saying anything about him. So I, I don't know what, what the situation is there. I, I don't know if they're disappointed with his ability. I didn't have a chance to watch him much, even in the uh, fall against scout teams and so on. I think Manugian probably – threw the ball better and understood the offense better, and he's the back on, backup walk-on that was there at USC. So yeah, the, the question mark is there for him, Eric. It's a big question mark, and I'd like to go out in the spring and watch him and watch this competition. But right now I say these two guys coming in are really going to have a great battle. It's going to be like the uh, Leinhardt-Castle uh, type of situation. These are two young, great quarterbacks that we recruited heavily that both decided on USC because of USC style of play and what USC gives them, but they're not the Wildcat type of quarterback. They are a pro-type quarterback, and uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to Eric. Uh, I don't want to say he'll be moved to another position, but uh, he certainly is going to have to perform in the spring or I think two things are going to happen, and I hate to say this, he's either going to transfer because he's going to be impressed by these two kids coming in, or he's going to have to maybe play another position. And I'll tell you where he, I think he'd be great if he's tough. I think he'd be a great free safety because he has range, he can run, and so on. And, you know, you've got to get your players in positions where they can play, not have them transfer, but convince them that you can help this team and you can help yourself someday by – playing in the secondary and maybe going on and being an NFL great. So, you know, I, I think they've got to handle this with kid gloves and make sure that everyone gets an opportunity and that they are themselves, the players know that the correct people are in the correct depth chart when it comes out at their position. Players know who's the best. Players know. You don't have to ask them. They know. Yeah, Jesse Scroggins, I think, has a real shot. But like you, you mentioned John Manuki, and he was really the backup behind, uh, you know, uh, Barkley and Mustaine last year. So they would have to first beat out him, and the two incoming freshmen got to try to beat out Jesse Scroggins. It was funny, though. You have two major all-star games in high school. USC's hit with sanctions and all that stuff. You could argue Max Wittick was the best quarterback 
I mean, he was almost the game MVP, but then the East came back and or the red or white, I forget which the team was, came back and scored and won the game at the last second. They actually announced Max Wittick as the game MVP. He had a couple of touchdown passes in that game. And Cody Kessler was really the best quarterback by far, at least on the West side. I didn't get to watch the East so much, but he threw a touchdown pass in the Army game, even though he was sacked pretty much every time he took three steps and looked back. So you could argue that USC had the two best quarterbacks at the two big high school all-star games, which is pretty crazy considering they only have a junior, you know, a junior quarterback and Matt Barkley still on the roster. And I apologize. I was calling him Eric. It is Jesse. You know, I was thinking of Eric Scoggins. I remember the oh, play yeah. at USC. <laughs> so, uh, my mind, you know, uh, lost me there for a minute. So it is Jesse. And, uh, yeah, and I, that's basically what I think. I think they're getting two fine quarterbacks and their type of quarterback. They're not the wildcat type of quarterback, but the type of pro quarterback that can really find a home at USC, and that's what USC will attract. All right, well, let's uh, let's go to the linebacker position. Wanted to kind of end this segment on this. Um, Evan wants to know, he assumes next year you're going to have Gallipo start at middle linebacker, Devon Kennard start at strong side linebacker, and Shane Horton start at weak side linebacker. Now, we saw, he wants to know what your thoughts on the linebackers are, and obviously Kennard was playing middle. Uh, we're not sure if he's going to be you know, we'll see. We'll see in the spring if they kind of try to move him around to get both Gallipo and Kennard on the field. Shane Horton came in when he played and played really well at weak side linebacker. And then you still got guys like uh, Ross Cumming that, you know, he was a walk-on that came in and, and worked his way into the two deep. Uh, Hayes Pullard is a um, redshirt freshman. You know, he'll be a redshirt freshman. Marquis Simmons is a guy that's been hurt a while. He came in the 2008 class. We'll have to see if he's able to make a contribution. And then that's that's pretty much it for like scholarship guys. I mean, there's guys coming in. Dallas Kelly is a JC, you know, from uh, Rancho. He's a JC linebacker at Chaffee College. At, he'll come in and add some depth there. And then right now, as far as um, guys that'll come in in the fall, Kent Tureen, uh is still he's still listed as soft soft verbal out of uh, Florida. And then Trey Madden's a guy we saw at the Army All American Bowl that probably needs to get a little bit bigger. But I mean. I, it seems like it's pretty wide open, Coach, in the whole linebacker spots. It is, and you're definitely not going to – if I was a defensive uh, staff, I would not play Glippo and Kennard at the same position, but you really need to get these guys on the field. And I really thought at the end of the year in the middle, Chris Glippo played the middle linebacker spot if they're going to play the 4-3 defense better than Kevin Kennard, but you can't afford to put him on the bench. We've discussed this before. As far as uh, I thought, he'd be a great defensive end, him along with Nick Perry, and they really get after people, and you turn him loose because that's what he came to USC as. But I don't think you have that that uh, opportunity because of depth and so on. You've got to have them on the field at the same time. I would say probably Kennard uh, would uh, play the strong side. Glipper would play the middle. Malcolm Smith, I agree with you, uh, I didn't think he was big enough, but he certainly did play well at the end of the year, and I don't think size is, makes that much difference now. I think you have to have speed guys on your on the field. Uh, Matthews, this kid at uh, Oregon, is playing in the middle. is not a big guy. He's probably the same size as Malcolm Smith, maybe a little shorter than him, and uh, but uh, he has a, a feeling for where the football is, and I think Malcolm played that way at the end of the year. So uh, as far as Kelly coming in, uh, I think it takes time for a – J.C. transfer to get situated and, and play and lose the uh, – it takes some time to grow up uh, on defense, especially when you have experienced guys coming back. 
Uh, they can't afford to get anybody hurt. I think this Ross Cummings guy is a steady guy, could possibly play a lot, uh, got a scholarship last year, made some big plays during the game. I think he's got a hit for the football and so on. But, you know, you're going to have to utilize uh, your West Hortons and your Nick Perrys and, and some of these young players. They moved over there to defensive end like Christian Thomas, and they're going to have to come out and they're going to have to perform. They got to play. Kevin Green's got to step up now and play. Uh, Armstead, I'd love to see him go inside and, and play on one of the uh, as a defensive tackle, but I don't know if that's going to happen or they can. But I'd love to see that happen. I think he's an inside guy and they, they control the middle a lot more in there. I, I don't think he has the speed and agility to be a defensive end, so I think he'd be better to be inside. You got to have quick guys outside now especially with the type of offenses you play against. I mean, the option and, and this, the speed. You've got to have speed to match speed today to play the Oregons and these teams that are running this uh, offense with all these great athletes on the field. When they spread the field on you, you've got to be able to run people down. So I think you've got to get your speed people out there, plus you've got to get your experienced players out there. And to answer your linebacker question, I would think that right now, if I'm the linebacker coach or the defensive coordinator, Chris Gallipo's in the middle. Connard's the strong side, and, and Malcolm Smith would be my weak side linebacker going into the spring. And the other guys, they're just going to have to step up and play. Coach, you, you mean, uh, you mean Shane Horton, Coach? Huh? You mean Shane Horton, Malcolm Smith is graduating. Oh, yeah, I mean Shane Horton. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> Shane Horton. I, you know what I mean? I'm talking so fast. We haven't, we haven't got into this. Uh, what's going to happen? I'm talking about Shane Horton. You're exactly right. <laughs> no uh, problem, Coach. <laughs> Malcolm Smith, you should have corrected me earlier. I thought you were talking but, about uh, You're guys. right. Yeah, yeah. No, but Shane Horton is you're the right. guy you were talking about that is is not yeah. the, the biggest guy. He's a guy that's moved over from the safety position. And you talk about oh, Kennard, yeah. you know, he came over from defensive end. I mean, that, that's a ragtag group right now with guys that have moved from different positions. You're exactly right, and uh, he's a transfer back from uh, UNLV, and he started there as a freshman as as a strong safety. So uh, I really do. I think that's what they'll go with. You've got to have speed on the field. So Shane Horton, Gallipo, and Kennard, I would say. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate it as always. It's uh, I'm glad we could kind of settle back into our routine and get you on the phone at the regular time and stuff like that. It's been I've been on the road for a couple of weeks. It's a little. A little more difficult to do the podcast there. It's doable, but I like doing it from our little studio, which is basically a room in my house. But uh, it's <laughs> we appreciate it, and it's gonna be it'll be fun leading up to signing day. We'll keep talking about the team, and then you know the the students are back in school today, so they'll start some off season workouts. We'll be working up all the way to spring ball. There'll be lots of stuff to talk about because it's gonna be interesting to watch these guys, linebacker position specifically, offensive line. Uh, where they're going to play on the defensive line. There's a lot of question marks on this team heading into spring football, and we'll talk about all those in future podcasts. Yeah, do you know yet when spring uh, football is starting? I know it's in March, but do you know when? They have not announced it yet. Um, there's been some rumors and stuff going around, but they're they're still playing around with it, so we'll see. Once Tim Tessalone and the sports information staff at USC announces when that's going to start, then we'll let everybody know, and we'll, of course, be down there for every practice. And Coach, we hope to see you down there as well. I want to come down. I really do. I want to see this team. I want to see the new prospects because there's eight new players who will be on the field in the spring, and it's very important to see just how they adapt to Division One college football. 
Cool. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll be back talking to you next week. More Trojan football. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, guys, and have a great Happy New Year. All right, everyone else, and thank you to Southern California Tickets. We'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to Dan Weber more about USC football. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We got uh, Dan Weber from uscfootball.com joining us. We didn't get to talk to him last week after his uh, great NCAA article. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Hey, pretty good. Uh, yeah, a lot's going on uh, with you know the NCAA and all kinds of speculation about it. Uh, we were just, just talking about how how ironically the two teams uh, in tonight's uh, BCS championship game are basically the two schools that have had probably the two biggest, uh, wealthiest, uh, uh, multi-billion dollar boosters in the history of college sports. And, uh, you know, Phil Knight at, at Nike and uh, uh, with Oregon and um, uh, Bobby Louder from from Auburn. Uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence. I'm guessing <laughs> probably not. I will say this, and you were there after the Oregon game. If Phil Knight was more than 10 feet from Chip Kelly after that game at any one time, I don't. I didn't see it. I mean, Phil Knight was there for the press conference. He was there, and and he was, you know, he was like part of the staff, and, and not an over, you know, you know, bearing guy or anything. He was just there, you know, and that little tent that they have at the Coliseum for the visiting coach, and he's sitting in that front row, and he's just. It's like uh, truly, uh, he's a he's a part of the staff, and. Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, the guys earned the right to to do a whole lot of things, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's just an interesting commentary on uh, maybe where college sports has, has gone uh, tonight's uh, BCS championship game. Certainly, Dan. And that, I, I apologize, we didn't get to have you on before. He wrote a great, if you want to go to uscfootball.com right now, it should be a little link in there. Um, he wrote a great story about going after the NCAA's underbelly and uh, I know it got a lot of reaction from fans. We didn't get to talk to you last week because I was down in San Antonio, but I know people wanted to hear about it. There's a, a question here from our voicemail line. I'm going to play that for you, and then we can kind of talk about that a little bit. Here's the uh, question. Hello, Ryan. Uh, happy New Year, and Happy New Year to you, Dan Weber, if you're there. Dan the Man Weber. Now, I'm calling. It's pre-dawn on, on, on um, Sunday, so I guess... Uh, tomorrow you were, uh, it will be the show. So I thought I'd call and just I'm just so enthusiastic about uh, Dan's uh, piece on the NCAA and uh, on 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 the, uh, the lawyer. Uh, is his name Shell? Anyway, uh, the thing I'd like to know from Dan uh, is just a specific question. Uh, I understand the hostility of the obvious hostility of the C O 
eye has always you know amazed me and i i understand paul d's hostility and i understand uh, missy conboy's uh, of notre dame an assistant athletic director i believe she is the obvious conflict of interest uh, and hostility what i don't quite get is josephine potuto who is probably one of the most well-known of, of this group of 10-man gang uh, she's a famous law professor uh, at uh, Nebraska. Uh, where does uh, I mean I don't where where does she fit in in your in your thinking, Dan? If you can help me out on that one, if you if you care to. Uh, thank you thank you for bearing with me and uh, fight on and win forever. Okay. Uh... I think uh, the situation with Josephine Petuto, if you read, uh, and I, it really helped to get a look at, uh, she did a, gosh, I think it was about a 130-page uh, law brief uh, in the last uh, year or so about how wonderful the NCA is and how wonderful the guarantees of due process are and how it only needs a couple of other tweaks to uh, to be almost perfect in terms of reflecting the the uh, needs of the uh, membership in terms of uh, policing infractions and whatever. And one of the things she recommends in there is that for any uh, student athlete who's left school, and no matter how you know how long ago, whatever he was in, he or she was involved in, if they choose not to answer questions from the NCAA, as basically as if the NCA has uh, a power of subpoena, uh, then uh, they, uh, or, but then she takes it a step further. She says, if an, a former student athlete does not answer our questions, then we will be able to take that as a sign that they're guilty. By refusing to answer the NCA's questions, you basically admit that you're guilty. Now, there are a lot of people in America who would say, wow, that doesn't sound like American uh, jurisprudence. I thought you were innocent until proven guilty. Well, I think what happened in the USC case was the NCA was, didn't get enough. They thought they needed more help from USC. And in most of these cases, the NCA basically gets a you know packet of material from the school, which has all the details down, and all the NCA has to do is write up the case and come up with a finding, and that's it. They really don't have to do much. And, and, and over the years, they've become unable to do very much. I think we all saw in how many instances, dozens of instances in the USC case, where when the NCA did get involved with their investigators, they basically screwed it up. They got things wrong from the get-go. They didn't know who was calling who and when and why. Uh, mistake after mistake after mistake. Sloppiness, uh, uncorrected, uh, 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 you know, believing two things that are contradictory about the same event and saying they're both true when they can't possibly both be true. I mean, the NCA had become really sloppy and from what I've heard from other lawyers and that is the NCA was really, really upset with USC. Partly that was, uh, I think, directed at some, you know, obvious USC people who said, the heck with you, we don't trust you, we think you're out to get us. And, you know, you can say, well, you're paranoid, but 
that doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. And they were, uh, without a doubt. I think the other thing that happened was USC didn't have the ability to investigate this case because Lloyd Lake wouldn't talk to them. The person that gave the NCAA all, it's all, I mean, essentially all, it's, uh, you know, what the NCAA would say would be meaningful evidence that they deemed credible. Uh, he never talked to USC, never would talk to USC. USC wasn't allowed to be in on the NCAA's uh, uh, interviews of him. And so it really wasn't possible. I mean, what kind of a case would the NCAA have had had they not been able to talk to Lloyd Lake? So I think USC in some ways got a bum rap for the fact that it took so long uh, because they could never get Lloyd Lake to, uh, to, to be interviewed. The other thing is uh, there are some people who think that the NCA kept the case open until they could get other uh, pieces that they could throw in, uh, like uh, you know the O.J. Mayo situation and the um, uh, tennis player making uh, you know uh, long-distance calls on the on the tennis uh, department's you know credit card. So they could get a lack of institutional control and that they knew maybe by the end of the investigation that the Todd McNair stuff was a little shaky. And so uh, uh, that gave them the ability to say uh, it was a lack of institutional control. I think it's interesting. Where was it? The most recent one. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, where they had 16 different sports involved and yet they and a failure to uh, oversee uh, and I'm trying to think whose uh, whose case that was, where they uh, said uh, that it wasn't a lack of institutional control. I guess that was Texas Tech, uh, and uh, coaches and thousands of uh, phone calls that they knew were were uh, uh, illegal over a number of years, and uh, yet that was not a lack of institutional control. But the USC case was, and that's where. They've got you because they don't have to have any standards from one year or one case to the next. And I think that's where Petuto has been pushing. Uh, I think she's pretty much been a hanging judge. You know, she wants uh, the ability to convict at the whim of the committee, and she's been the longest-standing Committee on Infractions member in history and actually overstayed, was brought back after her three three three-year terms were, were up. So she's got a lot invested in the NCA Committee on Infractions, and I think uh, um, this was a case where she wanted to uh, validate, I think, her term on the uh, on the Committee on Infractions. And uh, I think everybody came together with their own agenda, uh, and, it, uh, and USC was the perfect uh, situation for them uh, to go ahead and do it. It wouldn't have been prudent to do it against a conference like the Southeastern Conference that will come after you or a Big Ten that has a former NCA investigator, Jim Delaney, as its commissioner, or one of the more, you know, the Big 12, you know, the favored kind of, uh, institu- you know, organizations. But the Pac-10 obviously had so little to do or say or still to this day, you know, to, to defend USC. And I think it was just there was you know there was jealousy there was envy uh, there were a lot of things going on and everybody I think had their own uh, issues and I think Professor Petito's 
were uh, were of a different order from, say, Paul D's or Missy Convoys, but they were definitely there. Hopefully, that's not too long an answer, Ryan. But, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Well, now, but do you think... I think that's where I think that's kind of how it all fits together. I, unfortunately, this is the result of having read. Gosh, I think it's like a, probably a thousand pages of, of all this NCA stuff by now, and uh, uh, <laughs> it's just there. Now, There's the, a lot of it. Do you think that now the the story was great? If you haven't checked it out, going after the NCAA underbelly, and there's some, you know, Joe Shell's a lawyer that's a, a USC grad that's kind of taking this under as a pet project, and you know, a part of the story you were talking about there could be some optimism just because of the new incoming NCAA president. But there was just a, you know, you mentioned something to me before about a recent incident in basketball that maybe it looks like it's more of the same kind of thing that that he's not going to bring a new you know, culture to the NCAA that might not be a positive thing if, you know, you know, when USC is trying to go through this appeal. Well, I know this. If I were the new president of the NCAA, I would be trying to bring a new uh, culture just because I wouldn't want to have to keep defending everything. You know, I mean, why would you want to have to say you've decided you're going to go easy on Ohio State, you're going to go easy on Cam Newton and all that. Wouldn't you try to then take care of the USC case so people didn't immediately go there and say, what the heck are you doing? You know, I mean, come on, be consistent. This isn't fair. I mean, they basically, I mean, let's face it, for a long time, I think in, in terms of the media, I know Jay Billis, ESPN, the lawyer, grew up in California, went to Duke. He, was, he, he wrote a, a really negative piece about how USC was treated. Other than that, I'm not sure there was a single other piece in the media other than what we were doing. And, and you know, for months, everybody, you know, thought, this is, where is this going to go? It's going to go nowhere. I think that basically everything is turned around on the NCA now. I think uh, essentially people realize USC got screwed. The NCA is inconsistent as heck. It's uh, arbitrary, you know, capricious, doesn't have any standards, uh, uh, isn't able to be trusted at all. People on the committee have damaged their own reputations. I mean, we're hearing things from people on that committee who are out when they're out talking to people and don't realize, you know, we may have somebody there listening to them or backing off of that decision. The USC case, as fast as they can, you know, get off of it. It's like, you know, well, it wasn't me. I didn't have anything to do with that. I uh, We didn't realize what they were doing or, you know, whatever. So the whole thing's turned around. You would think the new president of the NCA would try to walk that back and say, look, folks, uh, you know, USC's right. Uh, you know, USC probably now overstated, you know, in terms of asking for only half of the penalties. USC probably uh, maybe is taking more than they really should. Now that we know what we know, I don't think, you know, we didn't, and USC probably didn't know this. It, it would be fascinating if we ever really got some insight into how USC is approaching this case. But uh, You think time uh, served would be would be fair at this point, all the stuff that the school has gone through, I think seems plenty compared to what else has been going on. But what, what, what yeah, was the reason? Yeah, I'm fairly aggressive. I think USC ought to take credit for the five scholarships they lost this year, the four transfers. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Central Henderson, they ought to say, that's our first five. We've already given you five. We've lost five for that one. That means we only have ten more to go. Uh, we, we agreed to take five for, you know, a year or for three years. And I think the NCAA said, you're right, that's it. I mean, uh, you know, Texas Tech got one 
scholarship, one scholarship for, for darn near lack of institutional control, you know, and thousands of messages by, you know, multiple, multiple coaches and who knew they were breaking the NCAA rules and just went ahead and did it. And, uh, uh, you know, they lose one scholarship. I mean, I, I just think it's, uh, it's beyond uh, uh, even having to make the case anymore that USC was treated unfairly. I think there's just absolutely no question about that. Uh, the question is, what does the NCAA do about it? One of the things I find most interesting is that Mark Emmert is scheduled to be in Los Angeles to speak at that World uh, Los Angeles World Council Forum February 23rd at the Biltmore, and uh, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, people like Condoleezza Rice, you know, uh, you know, come speak. I mean, every major political figure and you know, an international figure, you know, it's it come to to speak at that uh, at that forum and the forum is actually run by a number of former Annenberg school executives at USC I just find it fascinating that he's coming to Los Angeles after USC's appeal probably before the decision in the USC case has come down and that he's chosen to come here and speak I don't I don't know what that means. I just find it fascinating. I'm not it, sure. It could. I mean, it could go a couple. It'd be funny if you got some USC people in the crowd asking, like, now typically when a school has a, a single ineligible athlete, that's a loss of two scholarships. How do you justify <laughs> USC losing thirty? <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. I mean, and that's the thing. Those of us who were on the press conference with Paul D. You could tell he just pulled that out of the air. I mean, he just basically, and Paul D. has gotten them in trouble before, and, and they actually lost one appeal because of what he said at a press conference after, uh, uh, you know, revealing the penalties. But he basically just plucked that out of the air. That's how many scholarships, or that's how many recruits we think they benefited by because of, of Reggie Bush's fame. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, there's no way you could justify that. And, you know, I mean, they, this is the thing, the more you read it, they were so dishonest and so deceptive. I mean, talking about Reggie Bush as this high-profile athlete that he should have been monitored while he was on the cover of the USC media guy. He wasn't even... I mean, he was barely a starter. I mean, he was, you know, sharing the position with uh, with Lendale. They had in the backfield, they already had the defending, returning Heisman Trophy winner, Matt Leinert, who was clearly, you know, the big-time, big-name, most famous. You know, for that year, he might have been the most famous athlete in L.A. Kobe was kind of, you know, in a down year. And, uh, you know, there, there didn't... Matt was almost the number one athlete in the in you know in Southern California, and for them to say that you know USC should have been you know basically following Reggie Bush because he was this you know as they look back at it uh, now that he had won the Heisman afterwards, uh, but they were so dishonest. Uh, it, it's it's it, you don't almost want to read all the NCAA stuff because. It makes you so sad to think these people could have done this and signed off on it, and and been this uh, this dishonest. Uh, it, it's just uh, it's 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 sad. I mean, it really is. Unfortunately, USC happened to be in the way at the time and uh, was uh, kind of the uh, you know object for 
all kinds of reasons, mostly not good ones, uh, and was treated so unfairly. I mean, it really, there's just no arguing it anymore. And that's the kind of interesting thing. Go on the Ohio State Board or a lot of these different boards now, and you'll realize, uh, go on the UCLA Board even, and you'll realize they agree. USC got, got treated badly. And uh, that wasn't the case six months ago. People didn't believe that six months ago. They believe it now. They certainly do, Dan. And we appreciate all the hard work you put into it. I'm sure we'll keep checking things out as we lead up to the appeal January 22nd. Check USCfootball.com. Dan's been doing an amazing job and has been dialed into this story more than anybody else. So, Dan, we really appreciate all you've done. Okay, thanks, Ryan. It's it's been uh been really uh, I think it's been rewarding and it's been interesting having a guy like a Joe Shell just sitting out there deciding he's going to go a different direction and take it to Congress and he tells me uh, he's gotten an awful lot of positive feedback and he's gotten it to all the right people and you know what what happens uh, you know with that thrust uh, I can't think the NCAA is happy about it you know we're hearing that they're they're um, uh, Lobbyists in Washington have been asked to really uh, crank up their uh, their effort because uh, they know they're under uh, under some serious uh, uh, you know scrutiny at this point in time, and that they're worried about it. Which that's what we wanted. They they deserve to be. They deserve to be for sure. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll have you on next week. We'll talk some more stuff. I'm sure there'll be some more things breaking. We'll get to talk to you then. Thanks for joining us. Okay, and thanks for getting back here. Uh, uh, have a good week, Ryan. All right. Yeah, yeah. everyone else, back Bye. in 30 seconds. We're going to talk with Gerard Martinez. More USC recruiting. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We got a lot of recruiting stuff to get to. We got Gerard Martinez, our national recruiting analyst, was down in San Antonio with me all week talking about the uh, USL, U.S. Army All-American Bowl. We're going to talk about that, those reaction from the Under Armour game down in Florida, a lot of questions we got to get to. So a lot of topics we want to talk to about USC recruiting. The busiest month for USC recruiting of the year, obviously, January leading up to signing day. What's going on, Gerard? Oh, man, just trying to decompress from uh, almost 10 days in San Antonio. It's a long, long week and a lot of events to cover, and uh, hopefully, you know, we covered them well. I think uh, everybody on the Peristyle and members of USCfootball.com are pretty happy with uh, a lot of the reporting. Uh, Unfortunately, no commitments from the Army All-American game, but uh, still a wealth of information that came from that event. Yeah, if if they're not familiar with some of those recruits, USC had five committed players down there in San Antonio. We got you exclusive video of all of those guys from multiple days of practice and stuff. So there was a lot of information there. If you want to see what they look like in action, really practice is the way to go. I mean, you want to look at what they do in practice. You talk to different coaches, and this happens down even like the Senior Bowl. They want to see what these players practice like. The game itself 
isn't all that important. And uh, unfortunately, that's what you get to see on television, but that's why we were down there showing you what was going on in practice. The game, who knows what's going to happen. You couldn't see really Cody Kessler do his stuff because he was getting sacked every time he, you know, as soon as the ball got to him, it seemed like there was a defensive lineman in his face. But you wanted the scouts, the, the coaches, they want to see what happens in practice. And I'd have to say that the USC players certainly performed really well all week in practice in San Antonio. Yeah, there was nobody that was really a weak link. I didn't see anybody out there that uh, didn't play well or really looked out of his realm uh, in terms of being a, a talented player physically and just you know having the awareness of of, of a high Division One prospect. Um, I think the only guy that didn't play a lot during the week was Trey Madden, and he just didn't play a lot in contract uh, contact drills. But he was very very impressive in coverage, and which is one of probably the most important things that you want to see from a linebacker out of a high school level is you know what is his footwork. What is awareness? Um, kind of how does he play in space, especially if he's going to be an outside linebacker or a real linebacker specifically like Trey Madden. And, uh, you know, we saw it in high school. We had a pretty good idea of what he had and, and what he brought to the table talent-wise. But uh, when you get to see it against that elite competition, um, it's very important. It kind of reinforces what we thought about him. And uh, he's just he was excellent. He and uh, I think Lamar Dawson, uh, another linebacker from Kentucky who USC's targeting, were, were definitely the two best linebackers when it came to coverage. They were really good in awareness. Certainly. And uh, we mentioned this in, in Harvey Hyde's segment, but I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on it. Max Wittick was briefly named the Under Armour, like the All-American, the player of the game down at the Under Armour game. And Cody Kessler looked like he was probably the best quarterback in San Antonio. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that USC had two of the top performing quarterbacks in the biggest high school All-American games in the country. It's just everybody's looking for a quarterback controversy. I mean, it's, and these guys haven't even gotten to campus yet, and people are already going, well, who's, who's going to be the better quarterback, Gerard? I don't know how many times I was asked that after the Under Armour game uh, by other rivals' writers. <laughs> people kept asking me, hey, you saw Wittick, you saw Wittick. Who do you think is better? Who do you think is better? And, uh, and I'm still sticking with Kessler. I, I think right now, you know, right here and now, I think Kessler is uh, – just a very well-measured quarterback, and I think he sees the field well, doesn't make mistakes. You know, one of the real points that I tried to make uh, in uh, the reporting after the game was really the quarterbacks in the West as a whole, but really Cody because he played the most, was the fact that there was no interceptions. And I think that was really key. They, that, that West team could have turned the ball over quite a bit because the defensive line from the East was just an avalanche of black jerseys. It was just every snap. You had Timmy Jernigan just blowing up his blocker, guys coming from the edge. Aaron Lynch was killing the offensive tackle for the West. So, you know, those guys really stepped in and they got sacked. I think Cody got sacked nine times by himself and held on to the ball and didn't make any really bad mistakes and didn't throw it away and do something that would have probably maybe made the game a little lopsided if they would have started turning the ball over more inside their own uh, territory. So, you know, I think that's something that Cody really has right now that, uh, that's a real positive. And I think when you're talking about the next level and, you know, younger guys and, and giving a younger quarterback a look, it's going to be about who doesn't make the mistakes, who doesn't get you beat. Now, Max Winnick, he's a big, strong dude. You know, he's a legitimate 6'4", 200 pounds. He has that look of that pro-style quarterback that uh, you see in the NFL. And I think he's going to be able to develop more and more. And we're going to have to see. You know, it's not about who's going to be the better quarterback as a freshman. That's really not important at USC. It's really going to be who's the better quarterback, redshirt freshman, sophomore year, getting into the system when Matt Barkley moves on. I agree with you. And that, that we have a bunch of questions, so let's try to get to some of those. David actually wanted to know about the quarterback situation. We talked about it earlier in the show, but that's good. You mentioned it there. Um, but the, one of the other questions I thought he had that was interesting was, 
were there any SC commits or targets that were better than you thought? And for me, I mean, my first, the first guy that came to mind for me was Victor Blackwell, but maybe get, get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I can see people kind of feeling like, maybe, where does Victor Blackwell fit into this equation at USC? USC has some good receivers, and it seems like they're going to have good receivers for a long time because they've already got three guys committed at the receiver position for 2012. Um, but a lot of people kind of wanted to see what type of receiver was Victor Blackwell going to be in this context, in this situation when you have a West squad that had guys like DeAnthony Arnett, uh, Trey Matois, um, George Farmer. You had a few wide receivers that were very good and could do a lot of different things. And, and really, Victor did what I kind of thought he would do. He fit in where he could fit in. He kind of did what he played off of those other guys very well. Kind of became a little more of a possession receiver. Uh, became a guy that could find the zone, sit down in it. Uh, needs to become a little more confident and physical uh, in those spaces. You know, he had a couple balls that came to him and he dropped them because he was going to get popped or because it was just real close in on the linebackers and, you know, he's kind of coming across the middle. But then at the same time, there were, there were times where he, when he got hot, when he got the ball a couple times and he got kind of moving on things, he really, really played well. That second day of practice after he came back from a finger dislocation, he was catching the ball so much that the ball color was wearing off on his white jersey. And, I mean, I think that's, like, really important to, to, to tell people and, and let SC fans know in terms of a guy that really could have some streaky value as far as being a receiver that, you know, you can get the ball too early and become kind of a, a dominant receiver, really, uh, if, if teams are going and looking away from him. And when you look at the lineup that USC has, that's going to happen. I mean, you're going to have Kyle Prater. Uh, you're going to have Robert Woods. You're going to have George Farmer. And those guys are going to get a lot of attention. You need a player in that receiving core that can come in and play off those guys, that realizes those guys are going to get double teams and can subtly, quietly work underneath. And he did that in this game, and uh, he was really successful. He was really a good player all week. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times people thought he might be a deep threat, but he just did what he had to do in that situation. He was kind of the underneath guy. He had the most catches I saw on Thursday. I was counting, trying to count the reps and everything. I mean, he was besides the fact that he got hurt, he came back right away and was really probably like a security blanket for a lot of those quarterbacks. Exactly. First day, he kind of had some drops, and then he had the, the, the finger dislocation, and he never seemed to really kind of put it all together. But then that second day, again, once he kind of caught the ball early and kind of gained some confidence, he, he became a chameleon. It was like, you know, every guy that he played next to, he play, okay, is this guy going to be a deep threat? Well, then i got to play underneath. He did, on Tuesday, catch uh, several balls deep in the end zone. He had a couple touchdown uh, passes, and he did actually have the most catches that day as well. Um, so, again, it's kind of one of those things, like, you know, kind of seeing who's out there, seeing what the coverages are and how they adjust to those other players and basically being able to play off of that. All right. Uh, JC has some questions here. First up, uh, linebacker Lamar Dawson, the guy we saw, played real well this week. Uh, out of Kentucky, he wants to know if he's visiting along with everybody else. He was still 14th, visiting sorry. January 14th. Yeah. Um, not really much. He's keeping it pretty close to the vest. I think uh, off record, just down there, the buzz is definitely that Kentucky was in the lead. Um, Florida was definitely a player for him for a while. He's pretty much eliminated Florida at this point. Says he didn't really want to take another official visit. He's, he's kind of moved on, um, even with the new coaching staff. And supposedly, I guess, um, Will Muschiep was going to keep the linebacker coach. And he was like, yeah, but I still, I, I think, you know, with the new head coach, he kind of wanted to move in another direction. Um, so it looked like Florida was out, but Kentucky was still kind of the leader for him. 
Okay, and then mentioning the visits, we had a bunch of questions on the number of visits out there. Uh, JC also wanted to know about uh, Walker and Antonio Richardson, if they were, when they were going to kind of come out for the visits. And maybe you want to give a, like a brief preview. We don't want to – there's a lot of guys. If you don't know, there's a lot of guys. <laughs> Coming yeah, in this it's, weekend. it's a long list, and we, we you can't get into every guy. This will be the podcast in and of itself. But uh, Andre Walker is January 14th as well. Uh, Antonio Richardson has not yet set a visit or scheduled an actual date uh, to come out. Um, it might be 21st, 28th. I could see them kind of waiting to the last minute. That kid is an amazing-looking prospect, Antonio Richardson. He's 6'6", 315, 3'10", and he looks every bit of it. And he was really dominant during the week. In fact, talking to the East guys that, that did uh, the East practices, the rivals, uh, experts, and, and writers that were able to do more of the East practices because we were doing and focusing on the West, uh, they talked a lot about Andre Walker being a guy that maybe he – was the most underrated guy, a guy that they came in saying, yeah, he's pretty good, but, you know, probably not going to be a standout. Um, you know, Josh Hemholt, who did the West, or the East Notebook, excuse me, he, he loved Walker, and I think he had him as one of his top performers all week. So as a guard, I mean, he's a huge, huge prospect, and uh, and it was really excited about him. Um, so he's coming in the 14th. Uh, you, you've got you know, just a long list of guys. A lot of the committed guys are, are – Still scheduled to come in on the 14th. Kind of have to see how that plays out. Greg Townsend, George Farmer, DeAnthony Thomas, Marcus Martin. Um, we talked about Dawson coming out. Um, Marquis Lee is supposed to come out uh, January 14th here with uh, Farmer. And we heard that uh, you know there's some good some good feelings coming away from the Under Armour game. Um, I think with him and USC, I think he's kind of starting to come back around with USC and having a good week of practice playing safety. And, and, and really, that's I think one of the important things is where does he want to play? in the next level. Does he want to play wide receiver or does he want to play safety? And if he wants to play safety, I think USC is in a better position for him than if he wants to play wide receiver. So we'll have, see how that plays out. But January 14th is really a big uh, a big date for him in this weekend. You have Marcus Roberson, uh, who's a six foot, 175-pound cornerback um, prospect from St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. Um, he's going to be able to come out. Uh, Junior Pame, who's actually at the basketball game, uh, UCLA and, and USC, is actually coming out as well, and uh, he, he'll, he'll not be alone, let's just say that, um, January 14th. And then you've got you know, Christian Westerman, who everybody's kind of circling as being kind of the big fish offensive lineman in this class that USC has to get to be able to have uh, a good class. And um, we'll see, you know, what happens. He's still semi-committed to Texas. You know, he's definitely reopened his, his recruitment, and it kind of seems like, you know, we'll see what happens with Texas and their coaching staff and, and, the, and the moves that they're making and if they're able to reel him back in or if, you know, USC's got a lot of momentum with him now and they're able to completely turn his commitment and get him to sign on January 4, or excuse me on uh, February 2nd signing day. So um, there's a lot of guys uh, that are scheduled to come in and we'll just kind of have to see uh, again if all the local players that are already committed come in on this weekend or they just come in on unofficial visits and then kind of backlog them maybe later in the year so they can concentrate on some of these out of state guys that they're bringing in. All right. Um we had some general questions like Kevin, Rick, uh Bob had questions on like which you know, offensive linemen are you targeting, which uh, running backs, linebackers, things like that. I think one of the resources you should definitely check out for more general stuff like that, uscfootball.com, go to the target list that, that Gerard updates once a month and just all the players basically that USC is targeting at, at every position. Obviously, there's some guys that came off the board with the recent commitments, but uh, yeah, the, the target lists are a great resource. It's very, uh, just a lot of information on all of these guys that, that USC is after and uh, 
just check it out. Yeah, Gerard, are we going to update that once before signing day, or you think that's done? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I actually updated it uh, right after Christmas for January, but I'm going to need to update it again for January. There's a lot of turnover in the past couple of weeks, and so, uh, yeah, it's just a real accurate way just to kind of just glance at it and get a good feel for, you know, who's still on the board and, uh, you know, who who's looking at USC, and, and that combined with, obviously, the visit updates that we do, you know, gives you a good idea of, you know, who they're really targeting and, and who they're really uh, really focused on right now. And check, definitely check out the War Room this Friday. We had a real good one uh, last Friday. You can check out. There's good information in there. But for this Friday, with the biggest weekend, recruiting weekend of the year, we'll have some some good tidbits in there, I am sure. So check that War Room out every Friday morning on uscfootball.com, probably our most popular feature. Um, Casey wants to know, with Jim Harbaugh going to the Niners, does USC have any chance with some of the commitments from Stanford or have a better chance – with prospects considering Stanford and USC as their final schools? Yes, um, definitely. I think that's uh, a big deal, and, and it's going to be one of those things where, again, you kind of have to wait and see what happens with Stanford. People like to get ahead of themselves and say, oh, you know, everybody from Stanford's commit list is just open, and they're going to end up all at other schools. That doesn't really happen. You know, it doesn't really go on like that. But there are definitely going to be some guys who are looking. Amir Carlisle is a, is a running back prospect from Palo Alto who already officially visited USC, and that was back when Harbaugh was actually the head coach. So maybe he knew something because his dad is actually a strength and conditioning coach for the 49ers. Um, so he's looking at USC still. I hear that that might be a USC-Notre Dame battle, and I think Notre Dame might be in the mix a lot more than people think. Uh, so we kind of have to see how that goes. But uh, he's going to be announcing, actually, very soon here. I, I believe, off the top of my head, uh, January 15th is actually the day he wants to announce. So we're going to kind of have to see how that happens. Um, I, I think uh, one of the guys that's the newest target that USC's looking at is Anthony Sorrow. Anthony Sorrow is a 6'1", 215-pound uh, linebacker. Actually played for the East team in the Army All-American game. He's from New Jersey. And uh, and he was one of the guys who was kind of a, a tough guy. Not a real big linebacker in terms of height, but definitely in terms of girth. I mean, he's a big, strong, you know, kind of a, a bodybuilding-looking type linebacker. And USC there um, after the game, and uh, it's one of the things that uh, we reported on on the Peristyle, which was kind of a crazy scene, is uh, the lobby of the team hotel after the game was basically a free-for-all for assistant coaches um, from all the different major colleges because that's the first time that they can talk to those kids at the Army All-American Bowl. And uh, USC uh, had, I think, seven assistant coaches in that lobby. It was nuts. I mean, you had Ed Ergeron, who was manning the elevators. You had Willie Matt Garza, who was patrolling the lobby with James Craig and uh, Kennedy Pola uh, and Joe Barry. It was it was crazy. <laughs> it was craziness. And Anthony Sarlo was one of those guys that uh, they did meet with. They also met with uh, Chris Frost. Every player basically who came through that lobby basically got a, a, a little, you know, one-on-one time uh, with the USC coaches and just about every other coach from every other major program. So, um, yeah, Anthony Starr is another guy that they'll be looking at. Uh, and, and a guy that, you know, is kind of lower on the radar, but uh, really a player that I was intrigued with. Um, you know, watching his film with Kevin Anderson, who's a 6'4", 240-pound defensive end from Palo Alto, um, a guy that a lot of people look at and say, ah, you know, he's just a kind of an effort guy, a big guy, not necessarily the most athletic defensive end in the country. He's only a three-star. But I think his tape is really, really impressive, and he looks like a lot of Stanford guys that Stanford's been beating people with this year. Uh, so want to see if USC looks at him. Everybody wants to know about James Vaunters, uh, the 6'2", 230-pound uh, linebacker from Georgia who looked at USC 
you know, previous to, uh, you know, Pete Carroll leaving, took an unofficial visit, courted a lot of schools, and ended up at Stanford. He's an inside linebacker prospect. He would be really, really a big get for USC, but at this point, He's saying that he's really not interested in USC, and it sounds like if he's going to decommit from Stanford, he's probably going to go to another school back east somewhere. So we'll see if that changes, but um, there, there are a lot of guys on that uh, Stanford commit list and, and a few targets that are floating around out there that the USC is definitely going to be on. It's getting down to the crunch, and they need bodies, so USC is going to be they're going to be offering some guys and going after a lot of different players, whether you know they're committed or not committed. All right, uh, let's we got. Something from Lee. I think he's a fan of linemen. He wanted to know about Christian Westerman. You mentioned him already, but what about uh, Hobby and Kajaro? A um, couple of guys that USC is in on. Harvey, you know, is, is kind of one of those things that they're looking, and um, you know, he got his offer I think a little late, and it seemed like that was an issue for him. Uh, but uh, he's going to come in on the 14th with Westerman, and and we'll see how that dynamic works. We'll see if Westerman can uh, maybe maybe influence Hobby. Um, I think that's how it would go more than vice versa. I don't think Hobby's going to come to USC and really like it and try to influence Westerman. I think it would be more Westerman coming to USC, and, and if he really enjoys it, kind of influencing Hobby a little bit. Um, but uh, Hobby's got some connections to UCLA. A lot of people think right now he's leaning towards ASU, which could very well be true. Um, we're going to have to wait and see. I wouldn't say that USC uh, has a great chance at him. I think they have definitely a legitimate shot. I mean, I think they have a legitimate shot at a lot of the guys that are coming in um, and visiting that are, that are regional recruits that are guys local. I think the guys that are more long shots are coming from the deep south. They're coming from Florida. Um, so, I, I mean, they think they definitely have a shot. And if they're able to get Western in the hobby, that really does bulk up um, the, the, the offensive line a little bit, especially in the interior, uh, gives them some ability to play some guys who are really good run blockers, and uh, and that's going to be important, I think, uh, for them. You know, coming into the future, they they need some guys uh, who can come off the ball and just you know they can play some con- conservative type, you know. Uh, type game plans a little bit and instead of just having to throw the ball crazy around and looking like the West team did in the game this year, you know, with no offensive line talent. Uh, you want to give a little detail on Hobby and then maybe Kujaro as well? Um, well, with Quandro, um, he's Quandro, oh, I'm sorry. I keep saying his name wrong, yeah. Quandro uh, is, uh, we don't know when he's coming in. He's not scheduled or at least not announced when he's coming into USC. His brother, Ari, who's playing at Alabama, um, ended up coming in pretty late in the year. I think it was like the last weekend that they could bring in kids. And that might be the same thing that happens with Cyrus. Um, it's Alabama, and that's kind of the team you know, that, that, that everybody's looking at and kind of the team to beat with him because his brother is there. Because his brother's there, there's some talk that maybe he doesn't want to compete against them. They also signed Aaron Douglas, who was a junior college, uh, he was a junior college recruit who signed uh, in December, who USC was on big time, who really wanted him, and so he's already there too. So they've got some guys that uh, you know, DJ Fluker. They've got some offensive line talent, and you know, Ant- uh, Ant- uh, Antonio Richardson's also looking at Alabama. You kind of wonder if maybe that might uh, squeeze the guy loose that USC is recruiting as well. And I mean, USC would be that second team next to Alabama on his last, you know, his, his five top schools um, looking at him. Um, there was some talk that maybe Auburn might pop in there too and become, um, you know, maybe a, a prospect, a target, uh, a guy that they're recruiting. I don't know what's going on with Auburn. They're getting everybody in their brother. And, it's in, and actually, uh, I hear that they're, they don't have enough room for guys now. 
which is, you know, kind of amazing. So I don't know how that's going to all shake out. But uh, with, uh, with Quadro, that that's kind of the, the lowdown on him right now. He'll probably come in a little later in January. Um, Hobby is a guard prospect. He's from uh, Scottsdale. He's, he's another one of Arizona boys. Uh, kind of, you know, a guy that, like I said, through the process, really liked USC early on, was a big fan of USC. And then because he didn't get his offer as early as some of the other schools did, didn't get his offer really officially until the summer. seemed like he kind of held that against USC. And uh, from what I hear, there might still be some feelings uh, that uh, are, are hurt towards that. So, you know, we'll kind of see what happens uh, January 14th when he comes in and he visits. Sweet. Well, Gerard, awesome stuff as uh, as usual. Lots of, there's going to be a lot of stories, I think, coming up in the next few weeks before signing day. Are you ready? Are you ready for the push? Uh, yeah. Well, I have to be ready. There's no, there's no uh, you know, it, it, there's no there's no other choice to be, to be ready, I guess, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's no, there's no. I mean, it was a tough week. There was a lot of work this last week, and it's kind of like you get back here, and it starts all over again. It seems there's no All Star game to cover, but there's just going to be so many stories and stuff going on. We'll definitely check out uscfootball.com. No one does it like Gerard. We'll have all kinds of stuff going on. The latest with USC football recruiting. Thanks again, Gerard. All right, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Yeah, everyone else. Hope you enjoy the show. Back in the studio this week again. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com or call us two zero six eight 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 six seven five five. We really appreciate you listening on the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.